welcome on into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I am joined by the snare campaign provocateur and TikTok's biggest drummer. It's Benny Horowitz. <laughs> Big week for you. Wait, tick. Oh, that song. Yeah, the song yeah. The, the yeah. Olivia O'Brien song came out. Uh-huh, I saw uh-huh. people dancing to it on TikTok. I'm like, look at Benny. Look at him. You know, it's a classic thing, though, is is the classic way my life goes. There's this highly, highly relevant pop culture (laughs) song that I added something crucial and artistic to that nobody knows. (laughs) You know, like I forget that, like, uh, you know, people forget that Vernon Reed played guitar (laughs) on uh, Rhythm Nation by Janet Jackson. People (laughs) who played on Michael Jackson's songs and like, there are some of the greatest musicians ever. You don't even know their names. I'm not calling myself that, but I'm saying again, I've run into the world of enjoy the material I made. Nobody knows that I made it at all. Well, it's because you didn't even know when it was coming out and we did a podcast <laughs> the day it came out and you were just like, Oh, it's just a Friday. You know, I'm just taking my kids to the pool. <laughs> this is, this is my cycle, Denny. I get a little, I do the thing. Yeah. I pretend like it barely ever happened when I do it. (laughs) Then when no one notices, I get like super woe is me. (laughs) Then I'll recover. I'll go through like a small stage of grief. Then I'll feel great about it. And then it's just another thing. I I saw something cool though the other day. May I share something with you? Yeah, of course, please. So you know how I've publicly complained on the program before how I don't have a Wikipedia page. Yeah. Bums me out. I hope someone remedies this for me one day because I find it treasonous to make your own Wikipedia page. But I did notice I have a Discogs page the oh. other day. And I'm clicking. I'm like, okay, this is just going to be like Gaslight and stuff. It is not. It is wow. comprehensive. Mm. Someone went back. They got like demos, seven inches, things wow. I did in like the 90s. It's all, it's all there. So I'm super stoked that that exists and it's on on record somewhere at mm. least so my kids can be like oh look dad did a lot of stuff um but the cool thing is apparently according to discogs i'm on 49 releases wow which would make this uh upcoming mercy union record the, 50. the big 50 wow that's kind of a cool milestone about that 50 you know? records just outside of 40 that's pretty good man that is that is Paul. I Ju- know uh, that is Kevin Durant level production. Forty nine points in forty eight minutes. I swore you were about to say that is Paul Giamatti level production, which well, also it's my, applicable. My brain was thinking Paul George last night, and I was like, wait a minute, Paul George went off, but he didn't go KD off anyway. Who's had a better career, Paul George or Paul Giamatti? Oh, Paul Giamatti by like a lot, by like a <laughs> lot. <laughs> Probably. Paul Giamatti never gets hurt. Okay, I mean, if, even if you go yeah, back to like. It's true. Like John Adams or like private parts and now with like billions, dude, he's just everywhere. Don't they call him the Iron Horse to yeah. Hollywood? He's Iron- probably <laughs> he's probably more like Cal Ripken than he is, yeah. you know. He's the, yeah, he's the Cal Ripken of Hollywood, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Uh well, we are the Cal Ripken of podcasters. Each and every Friday we come to you, and each and every Friday we get into what happened on Days Gone By in this day in music history. Well, on this day in 2009, 
a woman named Jamie Thomas Rassett, 32, in Minnesota, is found guilty of illegal sharing of music files via the internet and is ordered to pay $1.92 million at $80,000 per song to settle the case. This was through that file sharing platform, Kazaa. And she had a handle on there and she literally downloaded and distributed 24 songs. And this is the person that the industry decided to go after. I kind of heard about this case then. It went to court. Uh, It was held up. She had no money. It's been going to retrials. She was even quoted back in 2009 saying, good luck trying to get it for me. It's like squeezing blood from a turnip. Hmm. Um, So, of course, in my natural curiosity, I think what's happened to Jamie, Jamie Thomas Rassett and this this case. And it turns out only eight days ago, there was an article on Billboard named Strike Three, question mark, Thomas Rassett to head back to court again. So this is still going on. And mm. they, uh, oh, I'm sorry. This is an old, this is an old article. I messed that up. But still, it went to case like four times. Mm. And eventually the Recording Industry of America, the RIAA, offered to settle with Thomas Rassett for a $25,000 donation to an appropriate charity benefiting musicians. So, of course, like, they sue some random person randomly. And in the scale of, like, crazy corporate culture, they wind up in the end imagining, like, they were altruistic, right? Because mm. it's like, it's like we took your $1.84 million penalty and took it down to twenty five grand for you for sharing 24 songs on the internet. Yeah. This is a normal person. It's twenty five thousand fucking dollars. That's like half a year's salary for most people, you know, maybe <laughs> quite more than that. So it's like, you know, fuck you. Like you never should have sued these people in the first place. I hate these these things. But very interesting that uh that this is going back. People don't even remember the days of that, right? Yeah, I mean, it was like the biggest story for a while, and I feel like we we've referenced back to a bunch of times on this podcast. I mean, them like suing like like teenagers for like LimeWire and like stuff like that. Um, never a good look, especially then when you have these like rock stars are living in these mansions and you're going after a kid that works at the Dairy Queen. Never, never a good look. But, but we got to finish the segment with with four. Four words. Lars Ulrich was right. <laughs> he was. I know he had to sell his paintings and 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 take a chip for a while, but he was right in the fact that like if you let this go, bonkers artists are gonna get fucked. Mm. And I mean, it happened. They just went after the wrong people. They went after the uh, the consumer rather than the creator. You know. Yeah. All right, Benny. Well, on this day in 2012, and kind of foreshadowing our first headline of the day, Bruce Springsteen played his longest show, and he turned in a three-hour, 48-minute, 32-song set in Madrid. This surpassed his previous longest show in 1980 at the Nassau Coliseum, which clocked in at three hours and 43 minutes. And honestly, with the news this past week that he's going back to uh springsteen on broadway i could see him doing like a four hour 
Gone with the Wind style Broadway show where he just does everything and tells all of the stories. So I think that this record's going to fall one more time. Yeah, I mean, talk about the Iron Man. Yeah. <laughs> Madrid. Madrid, I imagine it being a... The burn bound. A red, yeah. a red wine yeah. filled show, you know? <laughs> I think Bruce, like... So, like, here's what I don't understand. I can't do anything for that amount of time without, like, a pick-me-up mm. at some point, you know? Yeah. Like, I wonder what Bruce's, like, trick is at some point. Like, you know he has some rituals where it's, like, an hour in, he needs to slip off and, like, have a piece of toast. Or, like, two hours <laughs> in, he's got to slip off and have, you know, some, some Earl Grey tea. Like, I don't know. You know there's something going on. I did watch max weinberg's drum tech once mm. have to run back and forth on stage i think like every four or five songs to make sure that like the solo cup of whatever he was drinking was ice cold mm. so like after like every four or five songs he removed the old <laughs> one and brought a new one up i was like wow that's a next level of uh of service there you know yeah man i've always wondered like in these like big stadium shows when like you know they they go like like two three hours when like 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 the singer slips off it's like like i know there's probably like like a change of clothes but it's like man that that five minute break probably isn't long enough to like totally refuel you know it's like like how lebron you says like you never Danny, this is where i know how you grow up and i know you grew up right which is good but there's a lot of ways to get real fucking hyped up in under five minutes okay very <laughs> very efficient ways and they've been time tested by listen, musicians for a listen, long time i mean i don't i'm not trying to insinuate that anybody's doing you know going skiing for those five minutes though i could see it but i don't know well, I have seen it. Do you think, do you think, okay, let's take someone like, I mean, let's take someone like Bon Jovi, right? Let's go, because yeah. he's, he's, he's a classic tune-up punching bag. You think, you know, he's in his 40s, like mid-2000s, playing those giant stadium shows, and, you know, while while Richie's singing some God knows song, he's going out, doing a little skiing and coming back and being like, let's party? I, you know, here's where it depends, and I, I've made this analogy a lot because i really believe in it i think i have it honed in i'm not sure exactly what age musicians need to make this decision mm. but at every point the full-time touring musician needs to make the decision am i going lemmy <laughs> or am i going sting yeah. and i get the impression because of their general lifestyle like you're not doing cocaine and doing a fucking podcast with obama <laughs> you know what i mean so I have a feeling that both guys, especially Bon Jovi, who looks like he's like 38 somehow. <laughs> I mean, I guess he's had a little work done. But uh, I think both of those guys went the way of Sting. Mm. You know, I think like there's like healing medicines and smoothies and like, you know, some kind of uh, advanced medical treatments and things like that more than just like, the Lemmy method, yeah. which is walk off stage, have a speedball, and then head back out there for Ace of Spades, you know? <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of all of that, let's go to our first headline of the day. And, Benny, you know, we we brought up Bruce, and because he's quietly in 2021 been 
you know, going full Drake on us, featuring on a bunch of tracks. He just featured yeah. on a thing with the Killers. He was on a song uh, with Jack Antonoff and Bleachers. Um, so two features already in 2021, which is, you know, kind of on pace for like Drake circa 2012 when he was just on everybody's album and stuff like that. Yeah. So I was doing some research what features typically go for. Um, Drake does goes for a million Kanye in like the same thing just for a verse. Seeing all these headlines got me thinking, how much you think a Bruce feature goes for? Is it more or less than a milli? So... You know, this is obviously a complicated answer. Yeah. But there's something else at work here with Bruce. I don't I don't think it's a money thing. Mm. And even though, like, I'm sure he figures out a way to be compensated, maybe he gets points on the song rather than taking money straight up, you know, which is a little more of a, a classy long play, which I could kind of see him doing. But I think there's like a uh, a cultural attache to what he does here and he's been doing it for a while and he's they're not the first bands he's done it with remember i met bruce springsteen for the first time at an against me show in new Mm. jersey you know when he was like interested in these younger bands and i think it's uh it's twofold for him i get the impression that he is a true rock and roll fan and and as somebody who also is a true rock and roll fan, like I'm not the type who gets mad at like the 12 year old kid these days in the Nirvana t-shirt, because I know they didn't go see them or something. Mm. Like I'm stoked. (laughs) I'm like, yo, you're listening. (laughs) Fuck. Yeah. Like, good. Like let's listen to Nirvana. I still (laughs) listen to Nirvana. Like, come on, let's get into it. Like it gets me excited that like that the music I love like lives on. And I think there's a true element to Bruce Springsteen like that. I think he hears bands that he likes and knows that like lending his name and support to the whole thing helps the whole thing and kind of puts it up to a different level. And I can attest to that. You know mm. what I mean? Like uh, from a from a personal standpoint, the other end of the sword, though, is also like maybe he's figured out a little bit of the recipe of aging gracefully with some credibility and getting nods from the newly credible artists that young people find uh, important and respect kind of keeps your name and your albums and your narrative, like going to a next generation and he's smart and he knows it helps. Um, it helps everyone. Uh, it's not the first time he's done something with the killers. I think he's done stuff with them a long time ago too. So that's probably an old friendship at this point. I'd imagine he's on a texting relationship <laughs> with Brandon flowers now. Um, so I think it's both of those things. So I, I really, I have no idea how much money he yeah. makes, but I can't imagine in just in my knowledge of that situation. I don't think it's a money thing. I think it's much more of a, like a cultural thing. Oh, that was really nice, Benny. I was expecting us to get into, you know, the dollars and cents, all that stuff, but that well, was a I nice think homage. Even, you know, the information you're finding, that's like, that's some like label calling Drake's people being like, hey, we got this young artist Drake's never heard of. Hmm. We really need like Drake's name on it. Like h- how much money do we need to get that to happen? But... 
on the alternative, Drake and Kanye, they're both artists. And if they see someone they're excited about, I think that number goes way down or mm. turns to zero, you know? Um, so guys like that get paid when they don't care. When they're like, who the yeah. fuck am I going to do? <laughs> yeah. Okay, like, yeah, a million dollars to get me out of bed hmm. for, you know, little fucking something or other, <laughs> you know? But I think they would also do the same thing as yeah. artists, like just donate their time and energy for something they find, like, musically rich, you know? Yeah, love that, because then it comes back on you. That's kind of how, I guess, in, like, music circles, you, like, you're low-key building your, like, coaching tree, because it's like, oh, they, they did something like that, and then everybody cascades on down. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and honestly, it helps. Like, like I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, uh, hammer into people enough the idea that, like, you really should be kind and take care of people as much as you can when you have the opportunity to, because this business is a giant fucking tidal wave. <laughs> and like, you know, when you're on the low end of the wave, like those, those relationships matter, yeah. you know, and, and it's important to always be a human, you know, <laughs> words to live by. All right, let's turn our attention to the basketball now. And, Benny, we Thursday in the NBA. Oh no, excuse me. Wednesday in the NBA was a completely crazy day. You, obviously, you had the games at night. Uh, your son Lamelo Ball got the Rookie of the Year. Um, but then we also had you know some coaching firings um, and and all of that stuff. But the big thing that 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 I, I want to get to this postseason has been pretty crazy. Kawhi out indefinitely with an ACL injury. The uh, Clippers didn't release if it was a tear or not. Chris Paul is in health and safety protocol. Um, so he's may miss the first two games of the Western Conference final. LeBron even spoke out yesterday about, you know, kind of re-upping his message from December about the yep. dangers of trying to get in, in, in the season. And, Benny, my question to you is, should the NBA have known this was going to happen? Yeah. I, they did. They were told like a hundred times that it was going to happen. You literally had the athletes, you know, from the heat and the Lakers going into the off season going like, Whoa, we are not ready to do this. And then we're literally given no choice because all the TV contracts demanded a minimum of 72 games. Like we're not fucking stupid. You know, like all the facts were laid out for everyone and the NBA made a very clear decision to what they're favoring. It's a business and they made the monetary decision over their players' health. That's just like quite simply what happened. And it's going to happen again because the end hmm. of this offseason's going to run into the next season in about two months. So like not the same exact way, but close to the same way. So I think it's the first time uh in a long time where the nba is uh always on its high horse about player safety um and caring about the league and caring about their players and you know it's easy to put nfl in a different box and then you know the nba has kind of exposed itself in this last year about you know, what exactly it cares about and you're seeing it now 
I do understand it from the owners, but I, I think, you know, and the NBA has, has bought too much in in the past 10 years to this player empowerment dynamic that they have going on when at the end of the day, you know, the players were put in a tough spot, especially if they went deep into the bubble. Um, nothing about that screams empowerment outside of, you know, now you can have, you know, like Chris Stapps making $30 million a year. That's that. That's the only empowering thing. And I guess if, if the money's all, all you care about, then sure, it's been the era of player empowerment. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose so. Um, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, there's some um, speaking of the business and all of that stuff, Benny. You know, we talked last week about the coaching carousel, and it heated up a lot more this week. Um we had a interesting situation, and this is a this rarely happens in the NBA. We had two first year coaches uh, either part ways or get let go. We talked about Nate Bjorkman last week. Stan Van Gundy got let go. Um, from what I've heard about the Stan Van Gundy situation in New Orleans, he took a discount to go there. So like you're not getting uh, the the Stan Van Gundy price that you would have gotten a, a couple years ago. He really wanted to coach Zion. That guy like needs the coach to live. Um, but I'm just kind of curious what you think. Do you think first-year coaches letting go is going to be the new normal in this league? Because I kind of do. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, the shelf life of a coach and the patience of players and fans alike is less and less. I think you have more, like, abjectly insane, (laughs) like, billionaires making decisions from like airplanes like you know how much i spent on this team i need a head to roll you know like that's kind of the idea of business you know like if you have a a year that goes down in the ledger like someone's head needs to roll you know yeah um the bjorken thing was unique i actually both of these you know in a normal circumstance i'd agree like people deserve a little more time to get their things settled in but in both of these cases i don't care because uh, both these decisions kind of seem wildly obvious to me. Like it wasn't just like Bjorken was losing. He was losing, like giving up 150 points a night, um, you know, with some real players still on that team. And uh, it was almost completely obvious that that team gave up on him. So I can't sit here from my seat and say there wasn't something behind the curtain that was super obvious. And then with the Stan Van Gundy thing, like that just seemed like an odd fit from the start. Like ever since you saw the season start and the way it played out and the way that team was playing. And even though they were banged up, like, I don't know, they finished, they had a, 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 this huge jump year from Zion Williamson, who's a franchise altering player and finished with a, a, a record, a game worse than they did the last year under Alvin Gentry. So I, I'm not sure like what was happening over there, but there did seem to be like a disconnect between old Stan and like his current players. So in both of these instances, I kind of don't care, but um, you're probably right in assuming that this is the, uh, the future, but it's also easy with people with no pedigree, you know, like one of these teams that's going to come up, isn't going to hire a, a Sam Cassell or a Chauncey Billups or, Terry Stotts or like someone with a big name or um, or with like a coaching history behind them and then take them out the first year unless it's just like abjectly awful, you know? 
And I've said it a bunch on, on this podcast. The trend in the NBA is a lot like what we've been seeing in baseball, where the guy on the front of the bench doesn't exactly matter because I think the analytics are starting to run the game a little bit more and more. So these it, 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 it's a reason why a guy like Brad Stevens would move up to the front office because you can kind of be the coach by using the numbers and sending what you want to do down to the coaching staff. So I, I, I hate how head coaches in sports have become kind of increasingly more diminished, but I don't see that. I don't see that changing. I kind of disagree there mm. actually. And I think you're starting to see the, the analytics, people hit their ceiling as to what they're capable of. And I think Nate Bjorken was an example of that. Um, And something you're seeing in this playoffs, or at least I've seen two, I'd say the two best coaches in this current playoffs that have made the best in-game decisions with their rosters and in-game and game-to-game adjustments have been Ty Lue and Steve Nash. And I argue the fact that, like, I think when it comes to playoff time, when it comes to crunch time, you need game managers. You kind of need people sometimes who have maybe been there before. Mm. Like, it helps. So I do like the – I think the trend we're maybe going to see from this playoffs is less like uh, what are people doing wrong and what are people doing right. Mm. And those coaches are doing a lot right. And there's a lot of people, uh, uh, perspective coaches that come from the same pedigree as them. So I think that might be a trend going into next season. That makes a lot of sense. A traditional head coach is not playing Durant the whole time in this in exactly. the Eastern Conference semifinals. So it, it's a huge risk there. But Benny, let's James get into Harden played more minutes than Giannis. Yeah, in that game. That's you know? wild. But like, going on sixty percent, like. Only somebody who knows, like, who's been in these games, who's like, listen, I know we need to win this game now or you don't win it at all. Right. If there's anyone who knows that, it's Steve Nash, you know? And he has a personal enough relationship with Kevin Durant where he, I'm sure, spoke to him before the end of the game, before the game, and was like, can you run this whole thing? Will you run this whole thing? Like, what are you up for? And you can't have that conversation with everyone. And ironically, the worst head coach left, not a form. Uh, that's 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 not a former player, Mike Boonholzer, and he's about to not be in the playoffs <laughs> a- anymore. So, like, if you look he's, at the best, he's about to not. He's, I told you, he's. <laughs> they lose this series. Mike yeah. Boonholzer is going to Lawrence Franklin. <laughs> like, he is going to be a career assistant if that's. The hey case, man, uh, Lawrence Frank. Let, let me tell you about a guy that ended up on his feet. He's running the Clippers. I mean, so that's like that's like a fucking step up. Um, sure. But let's get into some of these series here, you know, just real quick here. Um, I want to start off with what we saw on Wednesday night. I want um, the Hawks took a three-two lead on the Philadelphia 76ers, came back from 26 down uh, at the end of the third quarter. And my question to you, Benny, is: um, given all the injuries that we've seen, are the Hawks the healthiest team left in the playoffs? I mean, and and we keep forgetting that they're missing like a big piece in DeAndre Hunter, mm. you know, like when he was coming back was like a, a crucial piece and, and guys like, uh, you know, Solomon Hill and Tony Snell are getting run because he's gone. Um, but yeah, it was something I said, I think, you know, early on going into this and even through the playoffs is that the team that manages the most health is probably going to get through. And you got 
the Sixers with their best player hobbled up and the other one afraid to shoot. And they're in this very vulnerable position. I mean, it's hard to watch something like I did last night in Philadelphia and not see that as like the end to this experiment, right? If they lose this series, you can't run it back again like this. You know, there's too many issues out there and you can't get away from Joel Embiid. So you need to like start moving pieces around that team. But that being said, there's still two games in this series and I have no idea what's going to happen. But can we talk a little about more about how impressive the Hawks are than disappointing the Sixers are? Mm -hmm. Like, what is this team? Is this a team having a run or are the Hawks just here as now a perennial top top six team in the East moving forward. I could see it being perennial, but you know, I think the Nate McMillan addition did, did wonders having a voice in the room that um, is a true leader um, and a guy that uh, Trey young, like really leans on. And I think we're seeing a lot from Atlanta right now. What we saw from Miami in the bubble is the fact that, you have guys, young guys like like Trey and a lot of their other guys who have been able to grow during the course of this season. I'm not willing to go as far and be like, oh, like the Hawks are perennial top four for the next decade. But for right now, you gotta like the pieces they got, man, dude. You, I go back to that that Bogey Bogdanovich deal all the time. <laughs> yeah. Massive coup for them, and I think. He's not like the reason why they're here, but they've got a number of those guys when it's like the sum of their parts makes them exactly what they are. Yeah. And you got to give uh, you really got to give credit to the roster creation yeah. uh, of the Hawks, too, because going into the season, you saw Gallinari get paid and you're like, oh, that's a trade chip, right? Because mm. that's too much money for a guy who's going to come off the bench and this and then. They make that trade for Lou Williams. You're like, oh, sweet Lou. He can't do it, and, you know, especially in the playoffs. Lou Williams was a plus 31 last night. <laughs> like, he went insane. Yeah. And Gallinari gave good minutes off the bench, and the Sixers ran uh, 29 minutes of Corkmonts <laughs> and 24 <laughs> minutes of Thibel. And, yeah. like, you know, so part of this comes down to just roster creation too. And this Atlanta roster is is extremely deep. And they can score points in a lot of different ways. So it's, I don't know. This might be a team here to stay. And you brought up the Lou Will Rondo trade. Let's move to the team that Rondo's on. We saw the Clippers get the win last night. 37 from Paul George in, on the day when they find out that they're going to be without Kawhi Leonard. Um, Paul George narrative the past 18 months has been playoff P. A little shaky come crunch time. Obviously, he has a long way to go, but... Do you think that Paul George, especially in this playoffs, could be the kind of player that can lead the Clippers to the finals? Well, let me start this off, Denny, by saying that was a sexy, smooth transition. Okay? <laughs> that was great. That was great. Uh, so Paul George is doing it to me again. <laughs> He's one of these guys, you know? It's like I watched the last three games – and my instinct as a basketball fan and, you know, like someone who really watches this game is like, this guy's fucking balling again, you know, like you see it. And last night, especially I'm like, 
there's something about watching him do work out there alone without Kawhi and like him running. He was running the fucking show last night. That was his team played 40 minutes and he was great. But I feel like I'm getting, I feel like I'm in New York city, you know, with the card game, like, <laughs> like, and I'm getting fooled by Paul George again. Like, uh, like I'm watching the Pacers heat, uh, you know, fucking seven years ago. Cause he always does this. He makes these little runs where he's great. And you really start to believe again, but could you see an absolute stinker in game six? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so could I. So like, that's where I love what I'm seeing. He's playing great. I got to be honest. I kind of wrote the Clippers off when I knew Kawhi was going to be out of the series, but last night did something. It also confirmed something that I've always had an issue with. And, you know, I had to be quiet on Donovan Mitchell the first two games because I'm like, oh, okay, Donovan Mitchell's here. He did take that step up. He's this kind of superstar. But then I see a game like last night, watching him force up 14 of these, like, fucking bomb (laughs) missile three-pointers. I feel like he's going to hit the ceiling when he shoots those shots. He's got so much arc just to get it up because he's a little too short sometimes to do it from out there. And, like, I, uh, I, I don't know. Sometimes that's where I do think the Jazz are missing, like, still, like, the guy. I don't know. And, and that's when I don't – they're so uh, – they're like the bucks of the West in right. the way that once you knock them out of their scheme, they're just all messed up. And Ty Lue did a great job, I thought, of rotating this, uh, this roster and finding a crew that's finally working with a whole lot of trusting Terrence Mann and trusting Reggie Jackson and going small, and it's really working. And I think he's picking – Quinn Snyder's whole chemistry experiment apart a little. So uh, last night was very telling in that way. But again, I could easily see some stinkers from Paul in the next <laughs> two games. You're not getting 10 of 16 from Marcus Morris every night. So I still think the series is wide open, but but this uh, game five is really impressive for the Clippers. Switching gears now to the games coming up on Thursday. Uh, Benny, I fully believe that by the time this podcast releases, my Bucks are going to be eliminated from the playoffs. And you know what? That's okay because it goes based off of, I honestly, I'd rather my prediction be right than my team win. Um, And I picked all along that, you know, (laughs) Kevin Durant and the Nets are going to uh, the NBA finals. The best player in the series, 90% 90% of the time wins. I've, I've always said that. Uh, and Kevin Durant put on a master class the other night. Uh, James Harden magically just healed from whatever he's been dealing with in a course of 18 hours. Um, didn't score much, but, you know, got like eight assists, nine rebounds, did the thing. So as the Nets continue to battle uh, their own injury struggles, do you think that this is sustainable where they could get nine wins to win the championship over these next couple of weeks here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do I think it's sustainable? Yeah, probably because I watched one of the best players in the history of basketball. have one of the best games I've ever seen. And like you said, I mean, it's what it comes down to all the time. We talk about in the NBA so much and we do all this, you know, analysis and we get into it. And, you know, why does an entire franchise tank for three seasons? Why do teams move their rosters around two years early to get ready for free agents? It's 
because you need Kevin Durant to win championships, right? And if you have that guy on the team this motivated and this healthy, yes, it is sustainable because he can be anybody on any given night. And if you just keep adding these pieces, even James Harden at 60% just playing quarterback out there, I mean, yeah, it's semi-sustainable. Um, I do think we're going to need a little more secondary help. I don't think you're going to have a unicorn game from Jeff Green again, you know, or you can't count on it every game. Uh, you're going to want some offense out of Harden. You're going to need one of these guys like a, a Mike James or a Landry Shamit or a Tyler Johnson is going to have to come in and hit a few threes and get another secondary run going because I don't think Kevin Durant can play 48 minutes every night for the rest of the playoffs. That's scary. Mm. Um, And, but I do think like I mentioned earlier in the show that him and Nash just knew, Hey, listen, Harden's not right. Kyrie's out. Like we don't win this game. Then it's kind of all over. Now they gave themselves this luxury of game six, you know, because if they're halfway through the third quarter, they're down 15, they're down 20, Harden's gimping around. He just doesn't have it. Durant looks tired. You know what? Pull the plug. Pull the plug. Put these guys on the bench. Let Alizé Johnson go get a double-double, and then you just – full on get it to game seven. So the Nets put themselves in a pretty good position. By the time this comes out, you'll either be uh, crying or changing your uh, mood saying that the Bucks have a chance at game seven. I mean, I don't think that, listen, when you watch these teams, like I don't, and, and I've kind of always felt this way, that when you watch this team, especially in the postseason, the the Bucks don't have what you look for in championship teams. I mean, listen, I love Chris Middleton, I love Giannis, but it's just not um, the kind of thing that you can bank on to go the distance. I mean, Giannis, at the end of that game the other night, he he, he gets a pass, he drops the ball, turns it over. A real MVP doesn't do that. A Kevin Durant does not do that. So two entirely different stratospheres there. Uh, the only thing, and I hope Coach Bud does this, does this on Thursday night. Doubt he will. And I and I know that whatever coach faces the Nets next will double team Kevin Durant if he's the only option out there. But Mike Boonholzer just refuses to do that. So it's, yeah, it, it, and, yeah, and I know it's been talked about in almost every basketball you know arena since this game has happened, but. If they don't just go after James Harden, too, on the de- defensive side yeah. tonight, I, I don't even know what they're thinking. Because if a jag like me knows <laughs> you should do that, the Budenholzer certainly should. <laughs> Teams should hunt James Harden, Blake Griffin. That's your series. I mean, if you win those matchups, you win against the Nets, but we'll see. Blake Griffin's the Giannis stopper. Uh, not the other night, man. Giannis, Giannis ate him up. All right. He was great. <laughs> Can I say one thing before we move on just yeah. to make you feel better? Yeah. I almost tweeted it, but I didn't want to <laughs> until the series was over because I don't like jinxes. But I got to say, there's no player in the league I enjoy losing to more than Giannis. I mean, that, that, that I got <laughs> I got to be honest. I I just like him. Yeah. I like him. I root for him. Yeah. There's nothing not to like about that guy. And Milwaukee's lucky to have him. I 
hope I hope he gets through one of these days, just I'm, not against the Nets. I just want him to, you know, develop more of a mid-range game, more of a perimeter game, be a more complete player. I th- see. I think he should go the opposite. Just bank in on being a center. Yeah. 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 I think that is the problem with his game right now. And if you know the whole system goes away from this idea that you should give Giannis the ball at the top of the key and you don't run your offense to get him the ball closer to the paint. doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't see him turning into some knockdown three point shooter. I think like he shoots the three ball just good enough to keep a defense honest, to make you go to the rim. You Mm. know what I mean? Like, and and the it just shouldn't be a part of his game anymore. And yeah. that's part of the Bucks' problem, is I think they tried to turn him into this seven foot LeBron or something who can just do everything, when they might have been better suited two three years ago. Of, you know, get your left your left hand back to the basket game, your right hand back to the basket game. Show them fucking Tim Duncan videos instead hmm. of LeBron videos, and I think they might have been in a better situation. Well, you know who did that, and a guy who's getting a lot of talk about head coaching jobs, Jason Kidd. That is why Jason Kidd should never be a head coach again, because he was like, oh, Giannis can be a point guard. It's yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah anyway. No, it's true. All right, winding down here, it's time for the tune-up encore, where if you didn't get enough takes, spice, all that stuff, we come back for one more opinion, one more take, and a segment we call the tune-up encore. Can I get an encore? Do you want more? Cooking raw with the Brooklyn boys. So for one last time, I need y'all to roll. All right, so listen. Yeah. I'm not going to fake the funk here and pretend like I've been following hockey super close. Hmm. But we have a fan of the program, Alistair, up in Canada. I speak to him once a week. We both chopped our fingers on mandolins hmm. and he's written in a few times saying, listen, Canada, this is our natu- our national sport and you never talk about hockey. So I'm going to give a little hockey here in the encore, Love it. which is about the Montreal Canadiens. I don't think it's your team, but I got to say I'm rooting for them. I like the idea of Canada's team winning it all for the first time since I think like what the eighties, nineties, it's been a long time. And I like the idea of beating these Vegas golden Knights, <laughs> which just for some reason feels like, uh, always like the Lex Luthor of like hockey teams, this weird, like dirty criminal team that plays in a casino somewhere. <laughs> so I got to say, I'm with you. I'm going to start paying attention more to hockey. We're going to talk about it more. <laughs> And go Canadians. We would talk about hockey a lot more if it wasn't behind a peacock paywall and you needed to pay more beyond your cable bill to watch hockey. That's all I'm going to say. Next year, hey, when it's on ESPN and you have like Tuesday night hockey, yeah, it'll it'll make its way into the tune-up rotation more because we'll be invested in it. Listen, I mean, the Devils play my fucking song and I don't even watch them. It's, (laughs) it's, It's not smart. It's not smart. All right, Benny, I'm going to take us in a slightly different direction for my encore. So there was a big controversy the past week. The creators of the animated Batman spinoff series, Harley Quinn, um, were told to get rid of a scene that featured um, Batman performing oral sex on Catwoman, which how this ends up in a cartoon is crazy to me. Um, they, but, their, but their logic was flawed. They were like, heroes don't do that. 
though I would kind of think most women would think, oh, I mean, if, 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 if you're a hero, you probably do, but that's a whole different conversation. Their argument also went on to say that if we're going to sell consumer toys of heroes, it's hard to sell a toy if Batman is also going down on somebody. I think that this is crazy. Um, this also got Val Kilmer off of his ledge being like, well, I played Batman, and I'm pretty sure that he, uh, you know, he brings out the wine and does all, all of that stuff. Um, so, Benny, I, you know, this is this is one of my favorite stories. I, I, I love that we've just gone here, you know, got Val Kilmer off of his, his ledge, but I got to open this up to you. Do heroes go downstairs? Yeah. <laughs> Only real heroes. Exactly. Exactly. Come on. <laughs> it's like, it's like, listen, if you're going to be a superhero, right, you're going to have to get into the nitty gritty of life. You'll have to learn how to fight hand to hand combat. If you're willing to let like the skin of your face, like rub up against like the sweat of another person's body, like, you know, who, who gives a shit? Come on. <laughs> Real superheroes know how to pleasure people. That's okay? right. It would be selfish to keep these extra human skills to yeah, yourself. Yeah, and imagine. I mean, I guess they just got to be careful too. Yeah, I mean, you, you, like, they could. They could probably, you know, some of these mutations and inventions. You know, this is still a, a human here. You yeah. can't can't get you know a little too crazy. Are you saying that the wrong cat could be kryptonite? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. <laughs> Things could get. Oh, what if there was like, uh, like an STD that came from like Krypton or something that just like infected the whole like superhero community or something? This could get awful. Actually, maybe I'm against it. If I ever get to make a Marvel movie, that's the movie that I'm making. You know, you get the entire Avengers team and they get wiped out by like one singular uh, person's decision to go downstairs <laughs> <laughs> well plenty of ways to get in contact with the show you can email us at the tune podcast at gmail.com two p's in there if you want to follow us on all of our social platforms it is the tune up hq on twitter instagram and tiktok if you want to follow the big man he is at benwitz one number one in your mind number one in your heart number one on twitter i'm at any underscore gallagher benny you got anything else please everybody love everybody You've been listening to The Tune-Up.